sometimes I could just sit here in the peace of it. And I'll, I'll start from that personal level and why I like even coming out of meditation like that. Because that's something I attempt to do every day. That when I focus in, I mean, the first thing I wake up in the morning, yeah, it takes a few minutes to kind of come more present in the body. You know, I'm just kind of getting older now, so it's not as fast. But as I do get more present, one of the first things I do before getting out of bed or anything is just bring my awareness back to the seat of the soul and live from here. And as we now all know, if we've been practicing this for a while, that the meditation itself is bringing our attention here. And I even put my hand like this because this is where I mostly feel that divine presence. It's like as if a hand, a palm were kind of placed right above my eyebrows, right there in the center of my forehead and overlaying into the top of my head is where the main fro focus on that frontal lobe, so to speak, is where I feel a slight pressure whenever I get really focused and centered in meditation. And then I attempt to, just like we did today coming out, is just hold my attention there. And that's one of the main ways I do it is through that feeling level. Because I'm more of a feeler. And so I really pay more attention to that feeling sensation there and that it, I feel it actually like I'm wearing a baseball cap around my whole head actually. I can feel that literally as a complete 360 degree circle but this is where the main focus is I feel it because this is where the doorway is from between the pineal and pituitary gland. That's the scientific part of this. That there is that physical locality in the body that we reference because that is the doorway by which that divine essence of who we are enters into this biomechanical physical structure we move around this level on. And obviously a lot of what we're doing here is learning how to take care of this machine that we are the energy source for, but also the consciousness for. And it is a soul that is here to learn through this body, through the physical structure, and all that goes with this physical level to have our experience here. We're learning about this aspect of God's creation. And I know it's the story you're probably going to hear us all the time talk about, but we've got to have that, that basis, that foundational aspect in the physical as a reference to refer to because that's where we are existing here at this time physically. So we want to have those physical references because that's where we need to start. That's why I know over time a lot of us will probably seek out and search out more holistic or metaphysical or psychic, wanting to learn how to read auras, how to be psychic, see the past, the future. What about the present, right? They always say it's here and now in the present, but we're always wanting to go one way or the other. Why is that? Yet, it's in the present is really the doorway into the true awakening. Because we're not going to really awaken into God trying to see in the future, trying to look in the past. I did that for years. I tried to be psychic, you know, see about reading past lives or, hey, I want to know my future because hopefully if I can know my future, I can just live into that and I don't have to do anything or be responsible for anything. It'll just happen. You know, the whole fun story where Jim said, just go get a job. 
I thought maybe I could bypass that if I could just, you know, know what the future is going to be and I could just arrive. <laughs> Not realizing there's like a whole life experience to have for that arrival. And every single time, even when I thought I knew where maybe I'm going towards, it always turned out different than I ever imagined. All the time. Never turned out that way physically. Now that goal spiritually, that inward and upward journey of where am I going to arrive? What is the future? What is it I'm trying to accomplish? Where am I going? Well, that's one thing that's totally different than the physical life that we're always trying to figure out from our past and trying to figure out a better future, right? Unless you're one of those evil ones who are trying to figure out the worst scenario. But even in the worst scenario, aren't the evil ones even trying to make it better for themselves? Thinking if they can have total dominion, things will be better. They can control everything. And on a microcosmic, minuscule level, aren't we trying to do the same in our own lives? Trying to, trying to control ourselves and our own life? How many of you have been successful in controlling even your own habits? Have you, ever been, have you been able to succeed at giving up every single bad habit that you think is a bad habit? Has anybody been able to? I mean, for more than a few hours or days? I made it for a few months, but boy, did it hit back with the mean revenge. You know, all those years of doing all the detoxing and all these holistic programs, and then you finally blow it and you pig out and you do everything you're not supposed to do. Then you kind of go back and ruin all the good work you did. Did you ruin the good work you did? Or did you just come back to whatever that homeostasis or that balance point of where you're really at and where your learning and growth is. Because maybe there's a deeper lesson than the physicality in what we're doing with our bodies or our physical lives that we seemingly think we have a physical purpose to fulfill or we're trying to achieve something, whether that's health-wise, financially-wise, relationship-wise, career-wise, whatever that is. And this is where it can be confusing because we've learned so much to focus in achieving and striving for something physically in our lives, whatever that is we deem as success, that somehow we try to relate that to our spirituality. That we think if we can achieve this, that's going to make me more spiritual. This. I say here because don't we associate God with up above, way above the mountaintop. God's really beyond all of that. And then at the very bottom is the pit of hell. You know, there's Lucifer and all of his demons. Well, it's true. I've actually experienced all that. You guys have heard, heard me and Jim talk about that over all the years. And yet survive it all. <laughs> That's the real joke, I guess, is surviving it all. It's a very different journey. That's why I like the symbol of the cross. I look at the horizontal is that which is the, our physical lives, and the vertical is that which is the spiritual. In words and upwards, we say. But then when we look out here, it's past, present, future. 
And isn't it funny? It's right at that point where the vertical line and the horizontal meet is the present right here. From here, we look to the past, look to the future, look down into the pit of hell, I mean the pit of our stomach. Maybe that's the same thing. That's why we get all upset, you know, upset tummies and stuff. We're too focused on all the hellish things. Maybe there's reality in that. You know there is. We'll talk about it. Can't talk about everything every class, though. And then, of course, beyond. Beyond. Look at that point is up here at the top. And then beyond that. Otherwise, it'd just be a, a T, capital T, I guess, instead of a continuing beyond that. Because even beyond the mountaintop, as we've all shared about and talked to the stories of reaching the mountaintop, that is the mountaintop right here. But just like in this world, we know the sun is way up in the sky, beyond, way beyond any mountaintop. But we first have to get to the mountaintop, the highest point physically. But then how do we get from here to the sun? How do we take flight? Well, that's the real journey of the soul that we're doing here in this action of meditation. We're starting at the mountaintop. All the years that maybe you, I know I have, but you and a lot of places in the world teach a lot of the metaphysical, they're working with climbing the mountain through all the chakras, the chi energy, auric fields. Those all correspond with the chakras, by the way. Just like there's a center here, spiritual eye, there's a center here, center here, center here, center here, and then down and continuing. Really? Only a little bit of laughter from somebody? I know, you're too, you're too focused up here. That's good. I don't want to bring you down to those levels. But all those are places from which we experience and have opportunity to live the horizontal or the vertical. And there's learning in all that because a lot of the learning here in time and space is learning from the past and even learning from the future right into the present. You know where they say the past repeats itself? Well, wasn't that when our past then make up our future? We sow what we reap, cause, effect. We're the children of yesterday and the parents of tomorrow. All these things we hear, that's why I reference them. Because all of them apply. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. So those are bases from which we move from. Even that horizontal bar, we may start at the bottom of the mountain. In each chakra, if you want to look at it that way, we go up. But really, what is it? Physical, astral, causal, mental, etheric, soul, spirit. Each horizontal bar there, there's lessons on that plane of existence of our past, present, future. And all the while, we're walking this inner journey inwards and upwards. And as we ascend, even within ourselves, there's the outer reflection of our experience even in this creation. And that's why the references to climbing the inner mountain, the inner mountain, but even here, we'll go and climb the outer mountain thinking we're going to achieve something, you know, climb Mount Everest, whichever mountain it is, to ascend to the higher heights. Because inside of our consciousness, we have an inherent knowing. Even if we're not conscious or aware or awake to it, 
there's a subconscious or unconscious knowing that we are the soul are trying to ascend to those greater heights. Why do you think man is so, can't stop itself from even trying to get off this planet? Space exploration. Go to the stars. Why aren't we content right here? Why do we got to go higher than the highest mountain? Why do we have to transcend our atmosphere? Why do we got to go beyond our atmosphere out into the solar system and the galaxy? Because there's something inherent within us that knows there's something more, so we're always seeking. Even physically, it, the physical seeking and exploration and adventure, the curiosity, is nothing more than an inner seeking that we are attempting to discover within ourselves. But we don't realize that when we're doing it all out here, because when we are focused out here, we think it's out here. So we are going to go do everything we can and keep striving, just like space exploration now. There's always that technological, if you want to call it a revolution or a renaissance or advancement, that happens because we're always seeking with an outer focus, not realizing we're really seeking a greater inner ascension. But eventually along that way, the soul is having its experience on all these horizontal plateaus or dimensions or planes. And as we learn and grow through each one, we're going to go higher and higher and have the experiences always to the next level. And then we'll rise up to the next level. We'll rise up to the next level. And I'm just talking the evolutionary scale of things here in time and space. Just like this new age we're entering into, the age of information, all these new kids coming on the planet that it just seems so brilliant, and the sound bites, what do they call them, the indigo children or autistic? Maybe they're the same thing. There's a lot of it going on. As we've even talked in here, the higher frequency for the new millennium, that frequency on a horizontal level is always in an evolutionary process. It has its rises and its falls. It's cyclical. It rises up. We're moving, what, from the Piscean Age, which is more of an emotional causal age, to more of the Aquarius Age, which is more of the higher mind. That's where all the advances, the genius, why technology is changing so fast and getting so advanced. That's why I make the jokes about the ET technology and UFOs and all that. There's a truth there. Because humanity now is moving up in that evolutionary scale to that higher mental frequency. But guess what? This has happened many times in the past. It just happens over such vast amounts of times, from thousands of years to millions of years, that on the fall we forget. We go asleep. So we raise to these high mental states of genius. And then in our stupidity, we destroy ourselves, right? Or we do something to ruin it. And now we start to cycle back down, back into the dark ages, back into the caveman days. And then little by little, we start to advance again over thousands and millions of years. And here we are at the peak of evolution again, thinking we've made it because we can explore space. 
I wonder if that's what the aliens are doing. Maybe they went through the same thing on their planet and now they found us and they're going, wow, what was I looking for? I thought I was looking for higher advancement, not lower. But who thinks that way other than maybe we do? Maybe that's what's going on. As long as we're focused out here, there's always that outer seeking for something more, something better, you know, Grass is greener on the other side of the fence. All you got to do is look around. Listen to the news once in a while. <laughs> Not too long. It happens all the time. But if we're wise enough, maybe we'll pay attention and learn from all of that. Not to criticize it. Not to say how terrible things are or how good things are, good news, bad news, but to look at it from a point of observation, to learn from, to evaluate, to gain the value that it's there presenting to us as it reflects to us for our state of consciousness. Therein is a big key. If we are willing to look and learn that's where we're going to start to now open doors for a greater, not only advancement, for a greater awakening. Because we need to start accepting and valuing how this works and what is present, rather than always judging it or making it wrong or politicizing ourselves, polarizing ourselves of the right and wrong, but to evaluate all the right and wrong, the good and the bad. Because there's value or learning in all of that. But we need to acknowledge it and accept it that way to gain the value that is there. And once we do that, what happens? Automatically, instead of struggling, resisting, fighting this outer process, when we start to accept it, we now begin the process of pulling our consciousness back to ourselves rather than out here. Because if we're always out here, we're going to always be in the chaos, the fight or flight, the struggle. But when we start to really move into acceptance, acceptance, it brings it back to ourselves. And it is that coming back to ourselves that is the beginning now of a new journey. That now begins to trigger more of that to thine own self be true, know thyself, be who you are. How are you going to know who you are, let alone to be who you are, until you come back to yourself and start to observe, introspect, reflect inwardly on who you are? But in order to do that, we have to be willing to come back to ourselves and look at ourselves. That means we've got to look at and be willing to actually, even if it's not permanently, eventually it'll be permanently, you know, on that last breath, but until then at least be temporarily willing to let go of the outer focus, to come back to ourselves, to an inner focus. And that's what meditation's about is to let, that's why we even close our eyes. It's just to let go of that outer focus 
and getting caught up out here to now close our eyes so we let go of that and come back in here. No matter which level we're at. We're going to go through all that. As soon as you close your eyes, automatically you come back right up into here. And then from here your focus can drop or go higher. Either way. Well, how do we control that? Well, in a sense you don't control it, but you do have a choice of how you want to direct where you place your attention. In other words, if you've got certain karmas, and what do we call karmas? Unlearned lessons. In other words, it's unconscious. Our attention will go to where our karmas are, unlearned lessons. It's like a magnet. It'll pull us there for a reason because that reason is where we have to focus to learn the lessons wherever we're at in our life journey. There's a purpose in that. We're just most of the time walking around unaware of what that is or why. We're just doing it, not even knowing why. And that's where we struggle with ourselves because most of the time we're too busy judging our process, judging our lessons, judging our choices. Thinking we're doing it wrong and even if we don't, somebody else tells us we're doing it wrong. And then we struggle with, are they right? Am I doing it wrong? Or are they wrong and I'm doing it right? Either way, it's a struggle. Because if they're wrong and you're right, then damn it, you're going to prove it, right? And if they're right and you're wrong, well, damn them, I'm going to show them. That's what always goes on here. And that does not stop as long as we have an outer focus. In fact, it doesn't even stop when we have an inner focus. Because when we go inside of ourselves, well, boom, if we drop down in the gut, the pit of hell, the pit of the stomach, where all those emotions are in turmoil, that fight or flight we're always struggling with, well, so we're going to even experience that internally. And that's often a trap or a misunderstanding, to say the least. Even on any spiritual pathway, where there is the action of meditation involved. Because a lot of people will look at meditation as a way of self-improvement. As, something's wrong with me, I'm going to fix it. It's broken, so let's put it back together. Something's wrong, let's make it right. Because you know it's bad if something's wrong. Something's wrong, well that's bad, that's a, that's a reflection on me, I'm terrible. I should be perfect. I need to fix everything. Why? If you can't take any of it with you, maybe some things we need to experience that are broken and let it be broken. And maybe the lesson is, it's okay it's broken. Ever thought of that? So I make the jokes of like this, all the anti-aging stuff and now. Why are we so anti against everything? That's why I like what Jim says. What about aging gracefully? That'd be a nice movement. Instead of anti-aging to aging gracefully. Why not move into acceptance and learn and accept the process? And maybe in that acceptance, there might be some loving that shows up. And maybe the loving all of a sudden makes everything okay. Whether it's broken or not, it's okay. And then let it be an inherent process of self-discovery rather than self-improvement. 
Oh my goodness. Hey, honey, if you're watching, there's a quote for you. Self-discovery rather than self-improvement. What if that's what it's really about? It's a journey of self-discovery rather than always trying to improve ourselves. And here's the funny thing to catch 22. I have found that when I go on the journey of self-discovery, automatically I find myself improving. Why is that? Well, I have found that the more I go on the journey of self-discovery, it's one of openness, of acceptance, of enjoyment, of loving that which I am discovering. And I find in that state of being or consciousness that things awaken and unfold. When I find myself going into a self-improvement, if I look deeper, I usually discover it's because I am judging something as wrong and I need to make it better. And it's just that state of consciousness that I'm in that makes the difference than the actual outer focus. In other words, if I come from a place of wrongness and judgment, then whatever I do with that place of wrongment, wrongment, there you go, wrongment and, I like that one, wrongment and judgment, okay. Just like I said, if you've got righteousness, you've got wrongness. So now we've got a new one, wrongness to go with wrongment, okay. But I find when I come from a place of judgment and something's wrong, it creates a state of separation and struggle within myself. And when I do that, I find then whatever I do, it creates more separation and struggle out here. In other words, when I think that something's wrong and say, my communications with somebody. And if I try to work really hard on making that communication just right, I find when I work really hard on it, the other person goes into reaction with me because they feel like I'm pushing on them and making them wrong. Did you get that? How many times have you had conversations with somebody where you're doing that to them or you feel like they're doing that to you? When somebody's talking to you and you feel like they're trying to change you, make you do something you don't want to do and that you're being judged, you think they're judging you as wrong, so they're telling you how it's right. And you go into reaction with that. That's what I'm talking about. Because when we come from that place of wrongness, we project that out onto our outer experience, whether it's people, places, things, and it creates a state of reaction which feeds the chaos and keeps the struggle of fight or flight going. Causes confusion, more judgment, more fear. This is the right way, that's the wrong way. So just be with me here a moment. Just take a moment even right now as I'm talking to think of a current situation you're dealing with now, that that's the case, where there's somebody or something in your life that they are or it is doing it to you and you're the victim and reacting to it, 
Or, you know, if you're the bully, <laughs> I usually get called the bully just because I actually speak up. <laughs> Where you are projecting that out that you think is the right way and somebody else is doing it wrong and you're trying to control the situation or the person to get them to do it the way you want them to. And how are they reacting to you? Do they fight you on it? Do they get mad at you? Why do you think that is? Isn't it interesting? What we do or what is done to us why at times do we go into reaction and struggle and fight the process? Or if you want to call it resistance. That's a nicer, minor way of putting it. So you've got something inside of you, a current situation. And if you're too dumbfounded and your brain's numb, think of something in the past like maybe yesterday. <laughs> There's always something for everybody, seriously. Now just set that aside. So literally set that aside now. Don't focus on it. Now, think of a situation where you have found yourself in a place of neutrality and loving and peace, where you just thoroughly enjoyed yourself being present with yourself, with other people, with whatever situation. And it was one of those moments that you wish would never end. And you just experienced so much loving, synchronicity, perfection, whatever you want to call it. One of those moments in the state of being you were in. And as you're in that, what you're experiencing yourself, and then how others were with you where you weren't trying to put anything on anybody or fix anything, and nobody was trying to do that with you, but you were just present doing something, enjoying the process, whether it's just a talk or a discussion or an activity you were doing, or maybe you were at a certain place where the weather's perfect, one of those perfect days, wherever the place was, What is the difference now from that place where everything seems to be perfect and you're in that place of peace and loving and joy compared to the other where you're in struggle and reaction and fighting the process or defending yourself if you feel like you're being attacked? What is the difference there? I'm just being quiet, let it sink in. Maybe we do call this Sunday class, so I guess if it's a class, we're teaching and having homework and they're sharing in questions to think about it. Yeah. So that's the point I was trying to make. Where you come from inside of yourself is what makes the difference with your experience. When you come from a place of loving and acceptance and joy and peace, what is your experience? 
loving and joy and peace. When you come from a place of judgment, of fear, of wrongness, wrongment, and you're trying to change things, improve things, whether it's yourself or others, we should stop calling it self-improvement, call it improvement of others. Because it's always others who need more improvement than us. They would just do it the way I want them to, everything would be good. And then I would have my peace and joy and loving. <laughs> Was this just a really bad Halloween trick? God had like trick or treat and we got the trick? And then once we learn it, then the treat's on the other side? <laughs> Isn't it funny, even Halloween, it's all the ghosts and goblins and all the negative spirits, but why don't we celebrate the next day? Do you know what the next day after Saint of um, Halloween is? All Saints Day. Isn't that interesting? All Saints Day, the very next day. No, we focused on the demons and the hellish stuff, and then the next day, All Saints Day, do we focus on the saints and the angels and all the really nice loving stuff? No, because the other is more fun. <laughs> it is interesting. Even these examples I'm giving. Why do we tend to have more of all the struggle and the chaos and the fear and judgment where we're always trying to self-improve or improve others? Most of us don't realize there's a choice of how to begin to change those outcomes. Not Here's the trick, okay? You cannot change the outcomes for the better when you're coming from that place of self-improvement because you're judging it and thinking something's wrong. You can't fix it that way. You just keep making it more wrong. In other words, you're sowing the seeds for tomorrow. When you do it out of reaction, you're going to create more reaction. And reaction comes out of judgment and fear. So what are you creating but more judgment and fear? That's why every time somebody's trying to fight for peace, well, and they're fighting for peace, they kill everything, and it's peaceful because everybody's dead. But then they reincarnate, call our children, and then you wonder why your children hate you so much. Because you killed them the last life. They were so busy screaming, you wanted some peace and quiet. So you slit their throat, making a sacrifice to the gods. And you got your peace and quiet, but you couldn't stop yourself from having more sex and procreating. So now they're back again, now screaming even louder and hating your guts. Because you killed them, so this time they're going to kill you. That's the shit that is, that, that we're laughing because what? We laugh at the truth. That's really what goes on. We think it's a joke. You know how it's good to use and instead of but? Well, in this case, I'm going to use a but, a real big but. Would you rather have that cycle of kill and be killed and reincarnation? Or would you rather have a peace of eternal joy and peace and loving? A life of eternity that way. Here's the funny thing. We're always looking to be immortal because why? Because the soul knows it's immortal. But it tries to create that physically. 
even the technologies, the life of immortality. Isn't that Lucifer's goal? I'll give you the world and the kingdom if you'll just sell out your soul to me. A life of eternity in hell. But hey, it's great if you can have all the sex you want and have all the money, all the food you want, and everything's good, right? Isn't this the age-old game, traps? But, what ha but, there's a big but, but what happens when we choose to live, to approach things from a place of loving and accepting in participation out of loving and accepting to be in union with, to commune, rather than out of judgment and self-improvement trying to fix something because we think it's wrong. Begin to look at this. And begin to look even deeper. Because in order to truly approach things from that place of loving and acceptance, we've got to come from. But how are we going to come from loving and acceptance unless we first go into it? In other words, we have to go into a place of loving and acceptance within ourselves in order to participate in loving and acceptance with everything around us. We first have to go into it within ourselves. It doesn't just happen. It happens because of something we do and choose to move ourselves into. And then what do you think is going to happen when we now participate from and promote loving and acceptance. I know I'm asking stupid questions. What do you think is going to happen when you approach things in loving and acceptance? Well, it's going to be great, right? Duh. That's what duh is. D-A, that acronym, duh, divine awareness. That's why we say this is a simple pathway, because you have to be stupid enough to be simple. Instead of so smart, you're a dumbass. That's the contradiction that confuses people. The mind wants you to believe you have to be smarter and know-it-all to advance, to ascend, to awaken. And I'm not saying you've got to be literally a stupid idiot and don't understand a thing to be spiritual and awake. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it is the approach within you and from where you are coming in, from within, with everything you do that makes the difference. Not your smarts, your wisdom and intelligence. To being wise and intelligent enough to know the difference and to choose that loving and accepting instead of choosing to fix things out of your reaction of thinking it's wrong or bad. That's what I'm suggesting. But here's the key. We need to literally participate in life as an experiment to even learn the difference. Because if we've just been unconscious and ignorant the whole time, just stumbling or walking or running through life, not paying attention to all these differences that we talk about here, well, guess what more than likely you've probably been doing?
well, that's probably the reason you're here. <laughs> You've probably been doing it the way the world teaches it, which is the right way. <laughs> so those of you who've had enough doing the right way come here to do it the wrong way. Because, of course, what we're doing is the wrong way compared to what the world wants and how it's done. But that's what the world will always do. The world will always make wrong any pathway of peace and love and acceptance. But what do you want? Do you want the world or do you want peace and love and acceptance? And if we really want peace and love and acceptance, we have to go to where it resides in order to have it. Well, where is that? Where does it reside? Right here in Kelsey's house. Look at the pretty Christmas tree and the fire in the back. <laughs> it resides wherever we are. But do we go into it? And so, of course, we have the meditation. There is always a way, there's always an entrance into anything and everything, but often it is hidden until we're ready and want to know and to discover what it is. When we really are ready and want it, we will seek it out and not stop until we find it. And then even after we find it, what do we do? Do you just walk away and leave it? Well, you might in the beginning thinking, well, this can't be it. Because we get so conditioned into the chase, the search, that even when we find it, we think we've got to keep looking. This isn't it. It's too simple. It's too easy. Can't be that simple. Can't be that easy. This must not be it. Let me keep looking. So then you go and you continue on and there it is. You just left it behind you. And then 200 lifetimes later, no, not 200 hours or days or years. 200 lifetimes later, you go, wait a minute. Wasn't that back time of the dinosaurs actually I discovered that? Oh, I'm sorry, that's 200 million years. <laughs> because we know inside of us when it is there, when we're there, when we have that. But the mind will always try to play trick-or-treat. But if we're willing to keep experimenting, pay attention, learn from our experience in life, but more so from inside of ourselves as we experience life, and to look at our responses or our reactions, and then as we learn through our reactions, we'll begin to discover where we're coming from in judgment and fear or from that loving and acceptance. And then when we really start learning the differences, then we'll get wise enough. You've got to first become aware, though. Once you get aware and you realize there's actually choices, most of us don't even know we have a choice. But once you become aware enough by paying attention, inwardly and outwardly, we'll start to see the differences and they go, wow, I don't really care for this other one because it's disturbing and it's uncomfortable. 
It's always leading to fear and chaos and hurt and pain and anger. What can I do different so I have more of the peace, the love, the joy? And it is that question when we ask ourselves, what can I do different? Is when now we set ourselves on that search of the discovering how to do that different. That we seek out. How do I do more of the loving, the accepting, the forgiving so that I experience more peace and joy? That's all we have to ask. But if we never ask, we keep the door closed. So we'll just keep living more of the same of what we've been doing because it just keeps feeding on itself so we keep repeating it. Keep getting indigestion, throwing up, regurgitating it until we get sick enough. All right, I need, I need a new menu. Let me go to a different restaurant. Let me eat something else, something that doesn't make me sick. Okay, so now I've witnessed, experienced enough. I do want more love and peace and joy. So how can I do that? Let's go to ILM. <laughs> because in ILM, we talk about love and peace and joy, but then we've got to go through the muck and the mire of all the shit that we've been trying to get away from to get to the love and peace and joy. Because <laughs> everybody loves doing that. Personal processing, all the psychotherapy, healing all my hurts and pains. Yes, there is that part of it. It's not meant to be that way. It's just that on the journey to peace and love and joy, we've got to transcend and move through all those things we've been doing for so long that caused the pain, the disturbance, the separation. But, so there's another big but. We've got two of them now. Maybe just one cheek for the same butt and the sweaty butt cracked. So now we know from last month where that came from. So as the two butts get balanced out. <laughs> Friction creates sweat. <laughs> oh my God. Make it stop, right? No, don't. That's what's fun. <laughs> look at look at the smirk again. <laughs> so as we seek out, we will move towards that which we really want. And it is that moving towards, yes, we need to move through all that which we don't want anymore. And that moving through, as hard as it may be at times, as much as we may cry or scream or whatever, we are moving through it and leaving it behind. Because we're now moving towards and into that loving and accepting that creates, or should say, is the place of peace and joy. But here's the thing. That place, if you want a physical reference point, resides up here. Not here. Not here. Not here. No matter how much sex you have, 
No matter how much food you eat, no matter how many happy thoughts or feelings you have, no matter how much you love people or places or things out here, no matter what you say, what you create with your words, it is not until we get to here do we really know what peace and love and joy is. That is the journey, the seeking, the asking, the knocking, ascending the inner mountain that the soul inherently knows it's on a journey of, that we are in the process of awakening to the journey that we are already on. That's the funny thing. We think when we discover a spiritual pathway, we're beginning the journey. Uh-uh. When we begin a, a true, in earnest spiritual pathway is when we're finally ready to wake up of the journey we've already been doing. We're already on the journey. Always have been. There's never a time that we're not. We just won't become conscious of it until we really want to. And that's the difference in when now that journey we're already on begins anew. And it is that newness that we call the renewal, the rejuvenation, the born again, a new life, a spiritual life, a godliness, a spiritualness, a mindfulness, a consciousness, it's when we finally choose to participate consciously that it begins to awaken in us that which has already been going on. That's really the only difference. And once we begin that, well, the soul begins now to awaken. It's already inherent within the soul. And by the way, the soul is who we are. So when I say the soul, even though it sounds like in third person, I'm talking about you, about me, about us. Not something else out there. The soul. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where, what's the soul? You've got to go back here again. Why did I say you've got to go here and where peace and love and joy resides? And didn't we say earlier in meditation, here's where the soul is? Because the doorway between the pituitary pineal is the door where the soul comes in and leaves the physical consciousness. It's all about the soul. Because in the soul, who we are is inherently joyful, peaceful, loving, accepting. The soul itself, that is its nature, it is not something we become or create. There is no becoming or creating any of this. It is who and what we are. And we're just awakening to who we are. That is why it is a journey of self-discovery rather than self-improvement. As you awaken and discover the truth of who you are as the soul, the child of God, that living, loving essence of the Lord, as you discover that, you will realize you actually are 
joyful and peaceful and loving and accepting because that is who you are. Not because it's something you become or create or make happen. And that is the biggest trick, or shall I say treat, in the trick of this creation is that it is a process of discovering who you are rather than becoming who you think you're to be. I don't often say this, but wow, this is actually a really good talk. I should probably <laughs> just stop now. <laughs> I like it when spirit's present and I can be very concise with the words, at least to me is understandable and concise. I hope it is as it's being presented. So, Self-improvement or self-discovery? The choice is yours. But even in that, it does take time to come into the understanding of how that works and how to participate with how that works. And that is what we're doing here. Is not only explaining, but to lay out that journey the signposts, but also to give the tools to uncover what's there. What is that example? Probably most of us has heard, like with Michelangelo, Michelangelo and the sculpture of David. It was just a block of marble. He had to chip away everything that wasn't that. And there's the masterpiece. That's kind of what we're doing. That's why that's referenced, like a spiritual metaphor. Because the soul of who we are is already perfect, whole, and complete in itself, and it is loving and joyful and peaceful. It is just all the stuff we've built around us that has become a block of marble or a pillar of salt, or, or we're all just a bunch of blockheads and just really bitter and salty, I don't know. But eventually, that gets chipped away. And that's often what we would probably call self-improvement is the chipping away. And so I don't want to discount that because the way I'm talking today could sound like it's discounting. To me, what's really the true intention of self-improvement. But it, if we can understand how to do that as self-discoveries, then it'll work. That's the clarity and the understanding we want to be able to present here so that you have that to work with in the way that it works. Because if you've been doing things in such a way that you've been told and you know somehow is the way that's going to help you improve or awaken, but yet it doesn't seem to be working, no matter how hard you work it, it doesn't seem to be working. It is not because of how we labeled it. It is because of where we are coming from within us that makes the difference. Not the technique or tool, 
where we're coming from in us and how we use that tool from what state of consciousness that makes a difference. Are we coming from judgment and fear or are we literally coming from a place of loving and acceptance? If you want to come from a place of loving and acceptance, what do we need to do? Meditate on loving and acceptance to awaken and bring ourselves into it. And then what else do we have? Well, we say this is a threefold path. Meditation, self-study. Oh, self-study. There's the area often we may look at as self-improvement. And ILM, how do we do that? The LAF, loving, accepting, forgiving. That laugh workbook, the laugh retreat. All that we work with that LAF is the self-study of how we can begin to now look at ourselves from a place of loving and accepting and forgiving so that we be begin to awaken and allow the loving, accepting, forgiving to come forth from within us because we need to approach it and approach ourselves that way. And then the service. So meditation, self-study, service. And in, the, in that order. What's there to serve others with if we don't have it first within ourselves? That we take the time to meditate, to awaken to, to do the self-study, to know ourselves, to understand, to practice, to do that going homework, to know our true selves that is loving and accepting and forgiving. And then in that, we can share with others which is a service in itself. And even if we don't share these with others, it is not about just telling people. It is about living it so that no matter what you're doing, who you are is a service. Jim used to call it to be a living prayer. Now we've kind of called it to be a living meditation because in meditation, we're living the loving. Just like when we came out of meditation today, I said, stay focused, live here. Live in the loving that you are so that everything you do is loving to come from that place. And in doing so, no matter what you're doing will be a service. Because as you come from loving and love everybody, but it's got to come from loving yourself and God, then that overflow to loving others, loving things, everything, material, immaterial. If you don't have any interaction with other human beings and you just focus on a desk job or whatever, if you do it from a place of loving, guess what? That loving is going to go into all your work and have an impact. That's the difference. We're really all of service, but are we serving from loving or serving from judgment and fear? It's what it comes down to. Two sides of that crack in the middle. The centered way. The middle way. I could do a really bad joke now. We have the single eye. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Even on the lower chakra, we have that other eye that he comes out of or through elimination, huh? Well, maybe there's no mistakes, no matter how bad the jokes are about all that. So if we feed and eat of loving, guess what? We eliminate. <laughs> we fertilize in loving.
So I'm looking around right now because I can still feel that Holy Spirit present and I'm just looking to see if there's more to share. Because when I'm done, I know it always shifts and I'll feel it literally go over to Jim for him to share and it hasn't really shifted just yet. So I'm looking to see what else is there. It's funny because I thought today I would be talking more about the end of the year, not necessarily Christmas. For some reason, the end of this year is more about letting go, completions, fulfillment. Actually, maybe that is part of what I can talk about now, unless I'm stealing your talk. <laughs> We've made reference last couple classes, or at least I have, like to this 20-year period and 10-year period, and especially since the whole new millennia began. But even just on an annual cycle, the end of a year and the beginning of a new that we just all do participate in. It's kind of funny that I don't even know all the historical part of it, but even this time of year when you talk about Christmas or the birth of Christ, the truth is he was born in April <laughs> in the spring. Spring forth new life. Not at the dead of winter, or I should say the beginning of winter. They kind of should have put Easter at this time and Christmas at Easter time probably would have been more accurate. But you know, the world gets everything backwards to the spiritual truth. Because this time of year, think about it, even in the seasons when we go into winter, it's now things we've reaped the harvest, things have completed. In the winter, things die off. Everything gets bare. We go into hibernation. Well, it's that time of year of completion, of fulfillment. We have fulfilled the harvest, the fruits of our labor. We've sown the seeds. So it is that time of year of completion. Well, what is completion also is letting go. It's a great time of year to begin to look at your own life and the things within you that maybe you know it's time to let go of, to complete, rather than dragging it along with you, not only into the new year, but just in your life in general. Whether it's some, what you would perceive as a negative attitude, or maybe something you've been doing in your life physically that you really don't want to do anymore and to let it go or to bring it to completion and fulfillment and do what you need to do to do that. Whatever that is, it's a great time of the year. Just like people have New Year's resolutions, well, those are the new things they want to do for the coming year. But in order to do that, most of us, why do we want New Year's resolutions when we can't even keep up with all the things we've been doing? Why pile more on top? Why not take some time for the letting go or the elimination process? Because we need to make the space. If we want something new, those New Year's resolutions or whatever it is, just to receive or to experience something new and different, we have to create the space for that. There's only so much space, right? And so much time. 
Space and time is limited. Spirit's unlimited, but space and time is limited. So we only have so much space and time when we're here, but in the unlimitedness, since we have eternity, that's how we fill it all up. So for this moment in space and time, what are we completing? Or what can we complete and let go of now for this year, or maybe even this decade, or this generation, this last 20 years? Or even longer. What was the little story of uh, Moses and the Israelites? Didn't they wander the desert for 40 years? Well, you know, some of you aren't even 40 years old, but if you are, you've had 40 years to wander to the desert, you know, and that wandering the desert, it was really about letting go of all the things of the past so that we can enter the promised land. That's the story there. Whether it was an actual physical event or not, probably was, but the spiritual symbology in a lesson in there is that wandering time is moving through the karmas and a letting go of all that of the past of where we have lived a life of enslavement by being trapped, controlled, imprisoned by the Pharaoh of Egypt? What if that Pharaoh is symbolic of our own mind and our emotions and our imagination and our body? What if that's what the Pharaoh in Egypt is about? is representative of what we're doing within ourselves by allowing the Pharaoh to be our mind and imprison us? And what if the Moses is really that radiant form within us, that spiritual teacher that carries the rod and the staff, just like Moses had that. You know how we've referenced over all these years, the rod and the staff is the light and the sound of God. That is why we call this the path of light and sound. It is the rod and the staff that is the light and sound of God that empowers us, that parts the Red Sea. In other words, that opens the consciousness so that the soul can pass through all these other levels of consciousness, the unconscious, the mind, the emotions, imagination, and body. So the soul can pass through it as the light and the sound, the rod and the staff that has been passed from teacher to teacher. Just even during the time of Moses, and I'll say Aaron as well, Moses and Aaron, brothers on his path. And even though it got passed to Joshua, well what? After using that light and the sound that represents the mantle or the living word for the soul's liberation after wandering the desert for 40 years, that was walking 40 years. How many years have you guys been walking this pathway? 40 years walking the path of sun and light, wandering the desert so that all the karmas die off. Well, 40 years is like a lifetime. Well, things take time to die off. But even when they die, do you let them go or do you keep dragging them around? For real. Don't we even do that? When people die, we keep dragging around some relic? I hope you buried or cremated them, didn't like keep their teeth or some bone, you know, like they've done with saints in the past. I've always thought that was kind of gross. <laughs> but that's what we do in this world. 
Well, I'll say that's what others do in this world. I don't do that shit. <laughs> but that's all we have to do is look at the shit we do and do we want to keep doing it or let it go? If it's dead, let it go. If it's still his life, kill it. <laughs> but isn't that what sacrifice is about? Maybe it wasn't about sacrificing our firstborn or sacrificing the firstborn lamb or whatever it is. Even though that has been done in the past physically, what if that's really representative of us internally being willing to sacrifice to kill off, to give to God. How many times do you hear us in here say, give it up to God, right? You hear us all the time, give it up to God, give it up to God. What do you think sacrifice was about? Even when they did the human and animal, and they probably do still, probably in places. It's about giving it up to God. Well, which God you're giving it to, yeah, that makes a difference too. But in this case, we're talking about the God that is the God of all that is loving, the one. To give it up to God, to sacrifice it, to let it go so that you don't allow yourself to be burdened anymore. To let go of your burdens, to sacrifice them. This is a great time of year to look at that and doing that. What is the sacrifice you want to make this holiday? Whether it's Christmas or I can't even remember all the others. I, have any, I wasn't even raised Christian or Jewish or anything. So, What is it you can let go of to prepare that place? But what is that really about? Is it really about letting go to prepare a place for something new physically? Well, yeah, you can do it for that. Or how about letting go and sacrificing something inside of you that is holding your soul imprisoned in Egypt? <laughs> so that you can liberate your soul to let that rise up to be born again. To let that be now the new thing for the new year is yourself rather than something that yourself is trying to create. How about to sacrifice something that has been holding yourself back so that you, that is yourself, can now come forward and let that be your gift to yourself, let alone to God and others. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for somebody else, right? Say, okay, just like I gave those examples earlier, somebody you're arguing with or going through whatever where you're in disturbance, say, I'm going to give you a gift this Christmas. I'm finally going to change for you. <laughs> I'm going to let go of those attitudes where I've gone into reaction and fight you on everything. Wow, that would be a great gift, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sounds damn near impossible, right? <laughs> But with God, all things are possible. And that's really the key, with God. So now I'm looping back. If we're going to do it with God, we've got to go to God to do it with God. 
Otherwise, we're doing it with Lucifer. He's more mischievous. He was the shining light of God, right? Wasn't Lucifer? Remember we've talked about that? Go look it up in the dictionary. If you read the definition of Lucifer, it doesn't sound so negative or evil. But boy, when we place the judgments and the fear around Lucifer or these things we would call negative or evil, the fear that it creates, then we go into separation and resistance, not knowing when we think we go into reaction and separation resistance, we think we're protecting ourselves, not knowing, though, that at the same time we're actually shutting the door to God. We think we're just shutting the door to Lucifer, that which is negative or evil or bad, but we're also shutting the door to that which is good or that which is God. And therein lies the dilemma and the challenge because we are afraid to become open and vulnerable out of fear of now the negativity and the evil coming back into us that we're going to get hurt, we're going to get killed, or we're going to go hurt or kill somebody else because we're so hurt and we're so angry. And that does happen. It's what this world does. But, oh, I guess there's a third but today. The more the merrier. If we can do this with God, and what is God, as I said earlier, what's inherent in the soul that was made in the likeness of God? Loving, accepting, forgiving, the peace, the joy. If we can do this with God, where all things are possible, that's where it truly transforms. And that is where the soul will be liberated to not only get out of the land of Egypt, but to even now get through the desert that has been wandering and the whole metaphor there of going into the promised land. That promised land is a reference to the soul realm that we talk about, where the soul truly came from and to which it'll return. It's just a matter of when. But it is through that light and sound of God in which it can and does return. So we have to embrace that to begin to learn about it and to even accept it and to work with it, to apply it, to apply ourselves. And not just reap the reward or get the treat, but to learn, to experience, to grow. So it is done out of freedom of choice, not out of have to or obligation. Isn't that where we all get disturbed from religion or our parents or our friends or spouses? Is because when it's supposed to be this way, rather than, well, I just want to choose what I feel is right for me. Big difference, right? That freedom of choice goes back to what I was sharing earlier about it's the attitudes from where we come from that make the difference. So we have to have a freedom of choice in order to even go into that loving and accepting place. It cannot be done out of a have to, a forced to, out of control or manipulation or fear. It cannot be done that way. That's of this world. 
That's the ego. That's the mind. We have to be willing to sacrifice or let go of all that in order to make the choice of loving, of joy, of peace. To practice the LAF, we have to freely choose. If we don't freely choose, it'll stir the waters. It'll stir the waters. So you'll get a taste of it. It'll be around you. But if it's not done out of your willingness and freedom of choice, it's going to cause disturbance because you didn't willingly choose it. And therein is where the struggle is. It'll shake the ego. And unfortunately, when it shakes the ego, we resist it and push it away. Does that make sense? Why religion often turns people off? Because when it's forced on you, don't you feel put off by it? It shakes you. But yet some part of you struggles because you know there's probably truth, that it's probably good, that there probably is God. But yet you have a hard time with it because of how people have pushed it on you, tried to control you with it, made you feel guilty, shameful, and all that. Yet it has so much good to offer but we're not interested because of how it's presented. You're evil and you're going to go to hell and damned for eternity if you don't accept the name of Jesus or Muhammad or Moses or whoever. But if somebody instead came up and said, hey, you want to hang out, have some fun? I love you just the way you are. No judgment, no fear. You have a good time. And you find there's joy. There's acceptance. You feel loved. You actually start knowing what that really means because of your experience. Because somebody came and was with you that way. Rather than trying to control you, manipulate you, tell you what's right and wrong. They're just with you and loving and accepting. You go, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. This is what I've always wanted. I didn't know it existed in this world. And then as you like it and you hang out more with them, and you go, wow, what are you doing? Well, you know, I do this meditation thing. You know, I focus on God. Oh, no, not God, man. I just all that religious shit. Had enough of that growing up. All I was told is that I'm born of original sin. I'm evil. <clears throat> well, that doesn't sound too loving but yet I'm here with somebody who's so loving and accepting then you get curious you start asking more oh well, yeah I meditate on God I practice loving accepting forgiving I at least try to be that way with myself even if I suck at it I still attempt to be that way and I try to be that with others and at least I'm working on it And I'm not putting it on you or anybody else. I don't expect anything of you or others. I'm just trying to, if anything, let go of the expectations on myself and just love and accept myself. When you really do that, that place of peace and joy starts to show up. And others around you will feel that, experience it. And those who really want it will start to seek it out and start to wonder and ask, well, what are you doing? 
It's different. And then you begin that journey of discovering that which is within you. That first you think it's in somebody else. But then eventually you learn that they can't give it to you or do it for you. But they can share with you how to do it for yourself. And then you start to do it. And then you keep doing it. And you find other people doing it. Then you hang out with those people. You feel like you found a new family. And then you try to convince all your friends and family to join in and they say, oh my God, you're a cult. You try to get me to do like you're doing, just like every other religion and everybody else is doing. And you go, oh shit, I just screwed up. And you go, that's right. This isn't about others. This isn't about telling others. This isn't about converting. It's not about preaching. It's about me just living this so that I can wake up to the truth of who I am. And others, they want it, they can go for it. If they don't, that's okay. I'll just leave them be. Participate with them however I can. But for sure, participate with myself. And if only we could get over the fear of being alone. Well, this is how to get over that fear. When you can really be with yourself and not need others, not out of a belief system or think, I'm going to be detached and get rid of everything. No, that doesn't work. Out of truly loving yourself and fulfilling yourself. Because guess how you overcome the fear of being alone? You become one with God. But on that journey of awakening, of becoming one with God, you will realize you are never truly alone. Never have been. And then once you realize that, then you try to do everything you can to get away from everybody. Because <laughs> then all you want us to do is be with God. But then eventually you realize it is everybody that makes up the being of God. Just look around, you're never alone. Even if with your if all yours is with nature, you're still never alone. You're with nature. You cannot be alone. It is impossible. No matter where you are. It is the fear that makes us think we are. How do you overcome fear? You don't. You love the fear. There will be a day, you've heard us share it in here, where each and every one of you will literally come face to face with Lucifer and even say, I love you. 
There will be the day. In other words, what does Lucifer represent? Fear. Fear. So when you say I love you to Lucifer, you're saying I love you to fear. And it is the loving that will now transform or disempower the fear and the fear will literally dissolve. I mean that it will dissolve and be gone. That is the day of your liberation. And that is the day you'll really know what I'm saying now. This is not about overcoming fear or conquering fear. This is literally about loving fear and through loving it, it dissolves. And then you'll know the truth that all there is, is loving. And that fear was simply an illusion to make us believe for a temporary period of time that we were separate from God. That's what darkness symbolizes is that fear of separation from God. It's not real. It's not real. We just have believed it to be real. And so we have fallen prey to the trick that we are separate because we've bought into the fear that we are separate from God. And all we're doing once again is realizing that we're not separate from God and all there is is loving.